Welcome to the Parental Development Podcast. I'm Leah. And I'm Becca. And we're two sisters, one with kids. And one without. One with questions. And one with answers. One who's a licensed psychologist. And one who just wants everyone to hear what she has to say. We both have a heart to see parents succeed and kids thrive. In this podcast, we'll be discussing a variety of topics, all with the goal of promoting conversation and learning. Thanks for joining us. Let's chat. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. As always, we're glad you're here. And it's time for another episode of Parental Development. Today, we're talking about teachers. God love them, bless them, and God love them. I mean, <laughs> Show that, needs favor. To be, that needs to be the first thing we say Yeah, is they are gems and I could not do what they do because I always say like my two kids, I have a profession where I work with one kid at a time. And so those of you that have like 30 kids in a class that you're responsible for, like I just can't imagine. So Nothing in this episode is meant to be judgmental or shaming or anything like that. It really is just meant to hopefully give you some insight and answer some questions to like, how could this translate what we talk about into a classroom is really it. And so hopefully, you know, everybody hears that with the intention that we are putting it out into the universe. Mm-hmm. And BT dubs. I know my voice still sucks. I, I mean... <laughs> This should be the last one that you have to endure this. And so I'm sorry. Just be glad you don't have to edit it with all our hacking and coughing and scruffing. I know. <laughs> I know. It's it's just not getting any better. So I apologize one last time, but here we are. All right. My what in the week really coincides with this episode because <laughs> this week I got... No, I didn't even get a phone call or an email. Lincoln told me some things. So he came home, I don't know, a few days ago and said, Mom, Sawyer lost five minutes of recess today. And I said, what? (laughs) (laughs) Tell me more about that, buddy. He goes, I don't know. I just know he had to sit out with the teachers. I said, well, why? What did he do? Lincoln didn't know. Sawyer, of course, not telling anybody, (laughs) not interested in talking about it. And so we'll get into this a little bit later, but I have very strong feelings about kids losing recess and taking away recess as a punishment because it's just bad. There's lots of evidence that says actual physical activity helps kids pay attention more and actually helps them regulate themselves more not the opposite. And it also goes into that whole thing of we use the things that we know kids like and enjoy, and that is what we remove from them as a punishment in like this weird, manipulative way. So I don't need to get into all the specifics of what happened after that conversation with my buddy Lincoln. I did send some emails to say this is not an appropriate consequence particularly, I mean, for any kids, I don't want this used on my children. And so I'm happy to have more conversations, but please don't do this. Please don't take away recess from my kids again. Mm -hmm. And there was some back and forth of things that 
I didn't necessarily agree with and I still don't feel really great about. But, you know, the conversation was started and the message was sent of like, I just don't think this is appropriate to be using for any of our kids. And again, we'll talk about discipline quite a bit when we talk about teachers because that's generally is the question. But that's very shaming for kids to like force them to sit out. They can't play with their friends. Clearly all their friends know they're in trouble. Mm -hmm. They have to sit with the teachers. Like it's just, I find it to be very gross. So I'm actually dealing with this in real life as we speak. So it's um, good timing for maybe some things I would encourage teachers to do a little bit differently. Okay. So as always, we have to remember the neuroscience. And so I'm going to fairly quickly run through these. If you want more in-depth information, check out the episodes, If I Only Had a Brain, and She Blinded Me with Science. I think those are our two like fairly heavy neuroscience episodes. And I think the other one was one more thing I wish I'd said. Oh, yes. That's polyvagal. I forgot to say some things. Yes. But if we go through some fairly quickly... So when a kid is triggered, when anyone is triggered or dysregulated, they flip their lid, right? We've talked about that. Their frontal lobe goes offline. Language goes offline because their body is in like a fight or flight response. When kids have flipped their lid, when anybody has flipped their lid, they are incapable of learning new information during that time, period. They can't really make good choices because all that decision-making, impulse control, all of that is stored in the area of their brain that is now offline. And they really can't process and respond well to language, which I think this is a really hard one for teachers because much like my profession, teachers are in the speaking profession, especially the older the students are. Mm -hmm. Your whole job is talking. And so that tends to be our preferred mode of response when kids are having a hard time or they're out of control or we need to get their attention or whatever is to just talk more or talk louder. But when you have a kid that is has flipped their lid, we just know that language is offline. Mm-hmm. And so the more you talk and talk and talk and give directions and correct behavior and ask questions and all that it's not only not helpful, it can often make things worse because it's just like poking a bear Mm -hmm. because they just, their their brain is kind of shut down in that area. The other thing from a neuroscience perspective, and this is that polyvagal theory, is understanding that we can only stay healthy in like healthy ways of being when we feel safe and connected. And if you remember the concept of neuroception, that is our brain and body's way of scanning our environment up to four times per second, scanning for danger. And so the kids in your class, their systems are constantly scanning for danger. And when something notifies their system that they are in danger, not just physical danger, there's all kinds of danger and safety, then they respond by either escalating or shutting down. 
And only when we get them back to a place of safety and connection can their behavior re-regulate mm-hmm. and get back on track. So a lot of what we talk about is you have to make sure your response to that out-of-control behavior is not contributing additional cues of danger because their system will continue to pick up on that and will escalate more, right? So yelling, threatening, your body stature, your tone of voice, all of that from a neuroscience perspective are cues of danger for all of us, but particularly for our kids. And so if a kid is getting dysregulated and we're trying to get them to get back in line behaviorally, if those are our methods of intervention, there's no way their system is going to let them calm mm-hmm. because we are further contributing signs of danger to them. And only when they feel safe and connected will their system allow them to calm and become more regulated and pay attention and come back online. Makes sense? And that feels review. I feel like that's a good synopsis. Yes. Okay. So one thing I encourage teachers to do just upfront is really examine your non-negotiables. What are the non-negotiables in your classroom? Personally, I would like most of those non-negotiables to only be safety related. And that can be social safety of the other kids in the class. That doesn't just mean like, is this going to kill them like physically? Mm-hmm. But Those really are, you know, if I had a magic wand, those would be the non-negotiables in class. They are safety related. All the rest of that, if as much as you can let that go, the better. So everybody has a spot on the rug. They're supposed to sit for morning meeting. This kid always wants to sit in the back of the room. If that is a non-negotiable, I would need some evidence to say like, why is that a non-negotiable? Why do you care about that? What's the safety concern in that? Now, if it's that he's back under the heavy equipment and he's messing with them and he could hurt himself, that's a safety concern. If it's because that's not what I told him to do, that's not a safety concern. So figuring out where is that line for you as a teacher. And again, you can have some non-negotiables that would not be mine. They don't have to all align. But I think a lot of teachers feel like, at least the ones I've talked to, if I don't stay firm on absolutely everything, I'll lose control. Mm -hmm. And really, it's the it tends to be more of the opposite. Because the more boxed in people feel the more dangerous that feels to their system. And so the more likely they're going to respond in ways that triggers them and they do get dysregulated and act kind of out of control and in dangerous ways. So really, the more, I don't want to say lenient, but the more flexibility you can have with your non-negotiables, you actually are setting yourself up better for better cooperation and communication and positive behaviors than if you feel like I have to keep everything super, super tight. Otherwise, I'll lose control and never get it back. I think that's a hard one for teachers. Can you dig into that just a little bit more of what that looks like? I think that's a huge part of it. I think if a lot of teachers feel that if they give an inch, these kids are going to take a mile and then I've got like Lord of the Flies going on in here. Yeah. Yeah. I think it it's all interconnected, right? So it is those non-negotiables of, okay, 
the expectation is we do have morning meeting. The flexibility is you can sit wherever you want or however you want. You can sit in your desk. You can sit. A lot of schools now have alternative seating, things that rock, little, those like yoga balls they can bounce on. You can sit. You can lay on your stomach. You can sit crisscross applesauce. You can put your legs out front. I don't care. We do have to have the morning meeting. That's the boundary. Where you sit and how you sit, I don't care about that. That's the, that's the flexibility. Because again, if a kid is feeling like they need to sit somewhere differently or, or move their body differently, and that is the piece that you feel like you can't flex on, first of all, you can't control their body. And second of all, their body is telling them they need to do that for a certain reason. And so they'll get more dysregulated because their body doesn't feel good in that position maybe. And so you'll create different behaviors down the road. Same goes for how you do your work, when you do your work, what you write with. Do you work in pairs? Can you work with friends? Do you have to work by yourself? All of those are things that, again, I think teachers sometimes try to script out and become so rigid in that they lose the ability to to let kids make decisions for themselves when they can, which always gives you more cooperation down the line. The more control you can give them around everything, the more cooperation you'll get because they don't feel backed into a corner and they don't feel like you're dictating every little thing about them. Does that help? That makes sense. No, it does because you know, as adults at work, I have a I have a standing I have a stand up desk that can go up and down, and sometimes like I can't sit anymore. I have to stand up, so I push that button. That mug goes up in the air, and I stand up for a little bit. And like it's the same right. thing. Like I have the autonomy in my workspace to do that, and we don't give that to kids. Some some kids do want to sit on their knees instead of crisscross applesauce. Some kids do want to sit in the back of the room as opposed to on the mat. And in the grand scheme of things, does that really matter? Maybe it does to you. I don't know. But is that a battle I want to fight? Would I rather, would would I rather fight a, I think more important battle, whether that, whether, whatever that is, I don't know. You can decide, but is, does it matter if they sit on the mat or on the chair? As long as they're quiet for the morning meeting, does that really matter? Right. And that maybe should be the question along all of this is what is my goal here? Mm-hmm. If my goal is to get them to get the information from the morning meeting, then I don't care how they get that information mm-hmm. or what their body looks like as they're getting that information. Anytime your goal is just for them to do what you say or for you to control different things about them, then you are asking for confrontation. Mm -hmm. If that is your goal, you are asking for it because there will be a kid that says, no, not doing that. So that's a dangerous goal to have. And that's true of us as parents. And we've talked about that. And the same kind of work we do as parents to think like, why do I care about that so much? Why do I care? The same kind of work really should be done with our teachers of why do I care how they how their legs are when they're sitting. Why does that matter to me? Mm -hmm. Is that only because I want to dictate my authority to a five-year-old? That I have a problem with. Mm -hmm. If you have some legitimate reason, I'm hard-pressed to come up with one. But for some other things, you may have legitimate reasons. But if you find yourself really like dogmatically digging in 
for certain rules and expectations and expected behaviors, you probably should look at that Mm -hmm. and try and figure out why that is so important to you and why it's so hard for you to be flexible around it and why it feels like you can't budge on that because that never goes well in my experience. I think it's even more important for, for teachers to consider the fact, for example, like, you know, your kids, you know, you know, Sawyer is, he is marching to the beat of his own drum. He doesn't like this, that, or the other, you know, that like you're around that him all the time. And teachers have, you know, 15, 20, 25, 30 kids in this classroom that, Yes, you see them every day. Yes, you have them a large portion of time throughout the day, throughout the week, throughout the year. But you have no idea what those kids are going, what's going on in their home life. Some of them you do, some of them you don't. And so I would think there's even a a more heightened importance of being sensitive to that. Okay, you know, he doesn't want to sit on the floor. He wants to sit in a chair, there may be something going on in his home life where he has there's something weird with chairs and the floor. I have no idea. Maybe he gets, mm-hmm. when he's punished at home, his parents make him sit on the floor for hours, and that's his punishment. I don't know that as a teacher. All I know is he doesn't want to sit on the floor. He wants to sit in a chair. But if I'm so hell-bent on making that kid do what I say without considering the possibility that there's other variables at play in his behavior besides the fact that he's just quote unquote defiant and doesn't want to do what I was I say you're doing a disservice to that kid I don't and I don't think that it's necessarily intentional all the time but you've got to we have got to consider the fact that there is more at play not just in our kids and everybody that we interact with everybody has a story everybody has stuff that's going on in their life that's contributed to who they are as a person and even more so for our little babies that don't really have a voice yet to, you know, to talk about those things. I think we have to, as teachers and as adults, be sensitive to that. There could yeah. be something else going on. He and and we've talked about that, right? Danger is in perception. Safety is a perception that you have no idea why he feels unsafe on the floor, but for some reason he does. His body is saying his body is telling him, "Don't get on the floor," and so. Being willing to bend a little bit and maybe have a conversation, maybe not, maybe just give him a little freedom, give him a little autonomy to sit in the chair. Like, I don't understand why some of the, it it really does feel a lot of times that it's just a power trip. Well, it's the same thing we see with parents, Mm -hmm. right? I am the authority. Right. They have to learn this whole, like, it's a Mm -hmm. different It's a different way to say they're going to end up in jail or under the bridge. They're not going to graduate. Mm -hmm. We know that apparently in kindergarten if they're misbehaving. (laughs) Like all those things. It becomes the same kind of thing of you do what I say because I'm bigger and Mm -hmm. stronger and older than you and in a position of authority over you as opposed to this relational thing we're trying to create together. Mm -hmm. You know, the county I work in, we created something that's called a handle with care thing so we have throughout the county any kid that has contact with law enforcement cps like any of the big systems they all know to send a message to the school it's just a handle with care document we don't give them specifics of what happened they don't need to know that but it's just a this kid had a big thing happen last Mm. night Mm -hmm. and just know that coming in this kid is likely not going to be their best self and so whether that's there was a raid on their house or their siblings went into foster care or 
their parent was released from jail or whatever it is. We send those and that is supposed to trigger those teachers and school staff to say, not that we like drop all expectations of them, but we handle them with care Mm -hmm. to understand like they just went through this big thing. And that's so great. But there's a ton of things that happen in our homes that don't rise to the level that interact with the system. Right. That don't touch the legal system or the child welfare system or the court system and are just as significant in the lives of kids that they're all coming in carrying that with them. Whether it's even, you know, we have added stress in my home right now because we're moving Mm -hmm. and we're finishing this build and there's lots of logistical things happening and we are all stressed. I would not be surprised at all if my kids are not their best normal selves going into school and that's not for anything nefarious that is happening in my house they're they're just carry all that with them Mm -hmm. because they're humans and so it's just wanting like i don't know they all need a handle with care document that's true to to their little backpack (laughs) it's true coming in every day because they are at the mercy Mm -hmm. of the crazy adults in their life that's so true that they are carrying all of our stuff with them in addition to theirs right and so You know, that simple shift, it sounds simple. It's not easy. No, yeah. You know, is big enough to cause some significant changes within a school environment for sure. Yeah, I agree with that. Handle our babies with care, y'all. That's right. So the main thing we want to do in really in all places that interact with our kids, we want to focus on the relationship instead of the behavior. And I know people say like, that's easy for you to say, yep, it is. And it's what I believe. And again, it's simple. It's not easy. Understanding that the different kids in your classroom are coming in with different needs and skills in that relationship area. Some kids have a lot of skills in developing relationships, maintaining relationships, communicating in relationships, following rules, all that kind of stuff because they have healthy relationships in their life. Some kids have no semblance of what that looks like. Mm -hmm. And you can usually suss this out pretty quick in kids based on like how they greet you and how they interact with you just right off the bat. We do a lot of consulting in schools and I've talked about that before, but we have, you know, some of the schools we go into are like alternative schools for kids that cannot make it, have not been successful in a traditional school environment. And some of them even are elementary classrooms and we will go in and there are kids who immediately greet us by coming up and hugging us. That's a different thing of like, man, they are desperate, this stranger, they're Mm -hmm. desperate for connection and relationship, and they'll take it even from a stranger. Mm. And then there are other kids that the minute we walk in, tell us to shut the F up. (laughs) And we think, oh, okay, that that also tells me a little bit about what you need in a relationship (laughs) and how you view that. And so we say like, okay, good morning. Nice to see you too. And then they tell us to shut up again and tell us about ourselves. But all of those things, you know, we view the kid who comes up and hugs us as fine, mm-hmm. appropriate, healthy, and the kid who yells at us as the behavior problem, we correct that, all that. Both of those things are giving us information on how that kid is relating to other people. Mm-hmm. And I get the benefit of that as a stranger coming into classrooms. But you too, as a teacher, could get that information of, this kid comes at me every morning. That is not a way to show how terrible he is. That should be a clue to you of 
man, that is how he feels like he has to relate to me somehow Mm -hmm. for whatever reason. It's very interesting, but I wonder why he feels that way. Mm -hmm. And so again, it's not that he's bad, but that is how he has chosen or learned or been trained to interact to and relate to the adults around him. Mm. And so again, it's really just that coming at these things with curiosity of, I wonder why that is. Like, what is happening for that little guy? Because that is not normal behavior, Mm -hmm. typical behavior for kids their age. And so if you can focus on the relationship and get those cues, and this will be common throughout the next little few minutes, kids tell you what they need and who they are and what they're thinking through their behavior. You just have to kind of be willing to listen to them and accept Mm -hmm. it. Mm Mm-hmm. Okay, so let's get to behavior modification, discipline, rewards and consequences, whatever stupid term you want. (laughs) The charts, the stickers and the charts. I mean, every teacher should take your sticker charts, clip charts, token economies, throw them away. Throw them away. Throw them away. I'll say more about that, but I don't feel like I should have to. (laughs) That's all I want to say about it. There was a recent video that circulated on social media. I'll have to try to find it and put it in the show notes of a an adult teacher or given some kind of presentation or something and had a behavior modification like a clip chart at the front of the room and used it with the adults in that conference the same way teachers would for kids. I haven't seen that. <laughs> Adults did not like that. They did not care for that. And I can tell you, several years ago, my friend and I, we were sent to the same work thing. It was on, what was it on? Like employment law. I mean, (laughs) kill me now. It was awful. It was awful. And so we were sitting there listening, trying not to lose our minds. And something he said triggered both of us for something at work. And I leaned over and said, like, oh, maybe we could do that. And we talked for maybe 10 seconds. This man stopped his training and called us out in front of everybody to tell us to be quiet. Mm -mm. And can I tell you the rage I felt for that man Mm -hmm. of who are you to tell me not to talk? I am just talking to my friend (laughs) over here. I wasn't being disruptive. It wasn't loud. I was, A, I was very embarrassed. Mm-hmm. And B, I was pissed. I was pissed as an adult. Why do we believe that our kids would not feel the same things for those token economies? Mm-hmm. I do a lot of training in schools. I have considered taking that one of those with me. I don't have it in me even to shame people as a demonstration because it feels so gross to me. Mm -hmm. But imagine I could do it often of like, you picked up your phone and scrolled for something. I'm going to move you to yellow. Mm -hmm. You were just talking to your, to your friend over there. I'm going to move you to red. That's inappropriate behavior. You won't stop clicking your pen. And I've, I've looked at you and asked you not to do that. I'm going to move you to just saying it feels embarrassing. Like you get like secondhand embarrassment. Mm -hmm. That's what these things are doing to our kids. It is shame. That is shame. Mm-mm. And we are asking, we are believing that the shame associated with that is going to be the thing that makes them control their behavior because I don't want to be shamed in front of my classmates. 
That's terrible. Mm-hmm. It's terrible. And the same people are on red, lose their tokens, have negative points, however you want to say it, all the time. And so they start to believe they are the bad kids. Mm-hmm. And so do their classmates. When I was talking to Lincoln and Sawyer about this recess thing, they both mentioned one kid who loses recess almost every day. And the way they talked about that kid was not positive. Mm-hmm. He's bad. He's naughty. He never listens. He, all of these things. And they are just spectators of what is happening to him because he is, they're working the system with him. He's losing recess, thinking that's going to change his behavior. But that is changing what he feels in school. And it is changing what my kids think of him Mm -hmm. and how they view him. He is bad. Mm -mm. And so then what does that do as far as them playing with him or being around him or ostracizing him or how they talk to him? Like it, it is just over and over and over again, layer upon layer of junk that I don't want our kids to have to mess with. Mm -hmm. Those are basic. He's not doing anything crazy, but they believe him to be the naughty kid. Mm -hmm. And so all those behavior modification systems do, in my opinion, and research's opinion, BT dubs, (laughs) is shame kids. And there is little to no evidence to suggest that those help change behavior long term. None. You can find study after study after study about what those behavior modification token economy things do for kids. And none of it is good. And it does not change behavior long term. What are some things that it does do? It impacts self-esteem, which you can see. It impacts social interactions and social skill development. It increases anger. It actually decreases their ability to regulate their behavior. It's just layer upon layer virtually every area it does not it just is not a positive thing and again i think if you put that in the context of adults we would see how that is not that's not accurate Mm -hmm. or not healthy yeah so some people will say like well i don't do that i have a reward system so a reward system is just like punishment in disguise (laughs) (laughs) because if someone gets the reward Someone else doesn't, and that feels a lot like punishment. Mm -hmm. So I appreciate your attempt to make that prettier (laughs) as far as rewards go. But you're doing the same thing just kind of backwards. Mm -hmm. And that, in some ways, that could be worse because then you have all the kids who get the rewards feeling better than Mm -hmm. the people who don't get the rewards. And so now you have like this army of quote unquote good kids and look how much better we are because I'm going to take my pencil I got and we get a pizza party Mm -hmm. and we get to do all these things and those kids over there are not as good as us and they don't get it. Mm -hmm. And again, just saying that out loud does not feel good to me. Yeah. Okay. So discipline should never shame which is tricky. Most discipline does shame. When we talk about discipline, we're really meaning punishment. Most people yeah. who say discipline mean punishment, rewards and consequences. The other one that is f- pretty common as far as discipline or consequences or 
punishment goes, is removing relationship as a result of behavior. Even recess, that's what that is. You are so naughty, you cannot play with your friends. You are so bad, you have to leave the classroom. Your behavior is so bad, you can't even come to school for five days. Mm. All of those things that teach kids that their relationship with others is dependent on their behavior, that will trigger a sense of danger. That is relational danger, social danger, not beneficial to change behavior. So discipline, much like what we talk about for parents, the, the goal has to be to teach them different ways of doing things. So the kid at recess for my boys that always gets in trouble is because apparently he throws sticks and rocks, which that is a safety concern. He has hit some kids because he picks up sticks and throws, throws them. That being said, the punishment of taking away recess from him suggests that we believe he has every skill in the world to not throw sticks and rocks. And if we simply shame him and take something away that he likes, it will trigger his memory and next time he won't do that. That's not how learning happens, mm -hmm. for one. But for two, how do we know he has those skills? Sometimes it's kind of fun to throw a stick. Mm -hmm. And to me, that suggests something about recess is dysregulating for him. It's too much. He can't handle the wide open spaces and the lack of structure and the he just can't handle it. And that's how that is what he's doing in order to communicate that and get that out. And so I would much rather someone go over and maybe stay with him throughout recess or regulate him before and after or let him go play for 10 minutes and then as a teacher go up to him and make sure he is okay or pair him with a different older kid that does a little bit better at recess. But the assumption that all of this is a choice he knows exactly what to do. He's just choosing not to. He's being naughty. He wants to hurt everybody. All those super negative things. I just don't buy that about, about most kids. I mean, I think this kid is like five or six. He's little, six or seven. And so instead, I want discipline to teach skills mm -hmm. associated with whatever the problem behavior is. Always. That needs to be the goal. Not to punish, shame, take something away anything like that because it just doesn't work right no it doesn't work i don't know why we can't accept that it doesn't work your guess is as good as mine i know i also can like hear all the teachers in my in my headphones right now saying <laughs> like i don't have time to chase around every individual kid at recess to make sure they're doing the thing i understand that i hear that and we got to figure out a way to do something different than what we're doing because we know what this type of discipline does to our kids. We just know it. And if people aren't aware, I'm happy to give it to them. If you don't want to accept it, I don't know what to do about that piece. But not accepting it doesn't make it not true. Mm -hmm. And so I know you can't chase every kid around in recess. But as a school, as a class, as a system, we could start to do some things differently that don't place the onus 
only on that one teacher to make sure every child is learning all the skills from, you know, yeah. birth to age 18. Right. But the alternative is not saying you can't do that. And so then I have to shame them. I also, I can't get on board with that either. I, I have a lot of empathy and grace for how hard it is. I disagree with the conclusion then that that means the only other thing I have in my tool belt is shame and punishment. Okay, so some other main things. I desperately want teachers to allow kids to listen to their bodies. And we talk about that a lot, that that's interoception, the how do you know, what messages is your body giving you about what's happening. So that would be something like the kid who wants to stand up in the back of the classroom as opposed to sitting on the carpet or the person who wants to like walk around the classroom during a lecture because their body is telling them they need to move. You know, you said something earlier about all the different ways we have to work now as adults mm -hmm. and COVID in some ways exploded that because now we're all tied to a screen or we're tied to a screen for so long. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of the ways we've figured out to do that as adults have been celebrated. You know, I was on a meeting last week and someone was on a treadmill desk. They were walking during the meeting. You have a standing desk. I take breaks during the day and I'll go upstairs and I'll go for a walk or I'll get a cup of coffee or I'll do whatever. We've celebrated that with adults. That is our body telling us, you need to stand up. You've been sitting here too long. Mm -hmm. Your legs are starting to hurt. I don't have any capacity to think anymore. I need a five minute break. Those are such important skills. And our kids are getting those messages from their bodies too. Mm hmm and we've gotten really good, both as parents and as teachers, of just making them ignore those. But again, if we don't let them listen to their bodies and do what they need to do in a safe and healthy way, they will figure out how to get what they need. It just becomes more and more inappropriate. Mm -hmm. So if I need to move and you tell me, no, you have to sit in your seat, then I'm going to leave the classroom. Or I'm going to do something that makes you make me leave mm -hmm. because I have to get out of here. My body is telling me I cannot breathe in here. I have to get out of here. And so this looks all kinds of ways. Do we let kids eat when they're hungry? Do we let them stand up? Do we let them walk around? Do we let them listen to music while they're doing their work? Do we let them sit in a rocking chair? Do we let them go to the bathroom when they say they have go to go to the bathroom when they want to? Can you imagine no. as adults having to like wait for somebody to tell you to go to the bathroom? Yeah, all those things. That is their body's messages to them. And if we can figure out a way to allow that and celebrate that, I promise you, you will have less disruptive behaviors. Because again, if your body is sending you a message that you aren't allowed to meet, like a need you're not allowed to meet, again, that in some instances is a cue of danger. And so your body is going to get more and more frantic. Your system is going to get more and more frantic to say, no, no, you have to figure out how to get out of here. You have to figure out how to move. I can't stay here anymore. And so the more we can give them healthy ways to do that, the better off you'll be. I think I told the story once of a, of a classroom I was in and a kid was pacing, just pacing the classroom almost all the time. I started calling him the shark because it was just like... <laughs> He was just like circling 
And he would start out completely fine. And as his teacher would say, like, no, no, you can't. You need to stop walking. Come sit down. We're working in our seats this time. Come sit down. You have to listen. Then he would become more and more disruptive. He would knock the markers off the board. He would start touching all his friends' things. He would start drawing on the board in ways that he wasn't supposed to. And my work with that teacher was like, why can't you let him walk? His body is telling him he has to walk. And she was like, I mean, it was like it had never dawned on her Mm -hmm. that that would be okay. She goes, well, I don't know. (laughs) I said, okay, we could set some parameters around it, right? Like he can't touch his friends. He can't touch their things. He can't be destructive. We could put tape on the floor if you want. Give him a path to walk. But his body is saying he has to walk. So let's let him walk. And she did. This teacher was super great. She let him walk and he got he got better and better and better and more regulated and was able to sit for longer, was learning more. And he knew whenever his body told him, he could go walk. And people say like, well, you can't do that with everyone. Why not? Why can't you do that with everyone? If I as an adult sometimes need a treadmill desk, if that's even such a thing that we have invented, a treadmill desk, that to me suggests... Some people pay attention better when their body's moving. Adults are just big kids. They're just kids in bigger bodies. So that kind of thing, I also feel pretty strongly about that. They will tell you what they need with their behavior. That kid was telling us his body needed to move. He was not doing it always in a real productive, healthy way. But he was telling us that his body could not sit in that desk for one more minute. And so he was going to get what he needed one way or the other. Whether that was walking or running out of the classroom, he was going to get what he needed. I just think that that perhaps it's there's this fear that if as a teacher, if your classroom looks unconventional, then on some level it's wrong or it's bad or in the same way that we try to fit kids in molds, right? And every kid look, you know, behaves the same and has the same triggers and yada, yada, yada. All classrooms don't have to look the same because each year you have a different group of kids that have different needs. They learn differently. They come from different backgrounds. They have different trauma, like all of these things. And so I think that maybe there's this fear as a teacher that if you do it differently, whether you're judged by your peers or whatever, like if, if your classroom looks unconventional, then somehow it's it's not as productive or it's not as quote unquote good. But like I remember seeing videos, I don't remember what what school that is in Chicago where like they have those kids like up on the desks in the morning, like doing their times tables, like dancing, like stomping on the desks and and, like kids are so happy and they're free and whatever. If anything is unconventional, it's that, but that is one of the higher performing schools in Chicago and people are dying to get in there because kids thrive there because there's freedom to learn in different ways and so I think I think part of it is there's this fear, maybe, I could be totally wrong. There's this fear that if it's if it doesn't look the conventional classroom way, desks in rows and bulletin board with apples on it, I don't know, like then somehow it's not as effective or good or productive. You know what I mean? Yeah, no, I don't I think that is a very legitimate fear and concern. And we've heard that from a ton of teachers, either from their peers or in a lot of buildings, it's the admin in the building, mm-hmm. the principals and deans and school board members, that there is that fear of 
it looks as though you're not, quote unquote, in control Mm -hmm. of your classroom. And I mean, you know, what your admin thinks about you, what your principal thinks about you is a big deal in teaching and has a lot of impact and the social pressure of your other teachers in your building or in your grade or whatever. So there is a big, in many ways, risk Mm -hmm. to doing it this way because it does go completely against conventional wisdom, which, again, I don't understand why education is the one field that has not moved. Mm -hmm. I don't understand it. Yeah. Every other field has shifted and changed and moved and been flexible and blown it up and started over. And for whatever reason, education will not budge. And so there is a risk to doing this differently and allowing kids to walk around. And you have to have a teacher that is pretty confident in themselves and knows what they're doing. And I've talked to a ton of teachers who even throughout COVID, you know, they weren't supposed to do certain things, but they said we had to. These kids were climbing out of their chairs. They weren't supposed to be able to talk to one another. They weren't supposed to be able to get within six feet of one another. They were six. (laughs) I didn't know how to do that. So all these things that really does require a top-down mentality in the system. Mm -hmm. And so you may have to have a conversation with your admin or your principal or get to a point where you say, like, I don't care what they think. This is what I have to do to be able to function the best I can with my students. That is not an easy, Mm -hmm. that's not an easy task. If you have the leadership in your building telling you that you're doing it wrong and that you've lost control and that's not what we do here and admin who are using punishments that are way over the top when you're trying to do this other thing different. I mean, it's a broken system for Mm -hmm. sure, but that I think you're right on in that that is a huge thing is just the fear of looking like you're not doing it the right way. Yeah, for sure. And I have been on like the teacher, teacher, tick the side of teacher talk, teacher, TikTok. <laughs> Somehow I got over there and I had some of them who are doing things, you know, an unconventional way or like there's a teacher shortage. What are they going to do? <laughs> oh, well, that's fair. <laughs> that's very fair. But it's worth a shot, right? If you have this kid that you just butt head with, butt heads with all the time and there's always this battle about he wants to sit on his knees and he won't sit crisscross applesauce like good gosh like that's miserable that the hill i'm dying seriously on. that is not the one seriously all right couple other rapid fire as we as we close this episode couple recommendations i have build regulatory activities into your schedule on a daily basis, hourly basis, minute by minute basis. What do I mean by regulatory? Things that promote connection, safety, calm, body awareness, all those kinds of things. There's tons of YouTube like brain breaks, go noodle, yoga, movement. You could do pressure, do wall push-ups, breathing exercises, coloring, dot to dots. I mean, there's Truly, I promise, if you like Googled brain breaks or sensory breaks in school, you will have a bajillion things come up. If you have a classroom that gets dysregulated regularly, even if you have a few kids or one kid that gets dysregulated and then takes your whole class off course, have the entire class do these exercises. And if your class really struggles, do it every 10 minutes. Mm Mm-hmm. They can be two-minute exercises every 10 minutes. 
usually the response is, I don't have enough time for that. You do. I promise you, you do, because you are spending more time than that trying to get your class back in line Mm -hmm. and back on track and back to learning than the two minutes it would take you to break and come back. And you won't have to do it every 10 minutes forever. They get better at that. You can cue them differently. You can space out the amount of time. That is a skill that develops over time that that would get better, I promise, if you implement that over and over in your classroom. And then the last thing I'll say is match the interventions with the child's needs. So I have been in classrooms and we have had we've had a student that you can very clearly see he is one of those like sharks. He is pacing in the classroom. And the teacher will say you need to go go to the sensory room and play a game of Uno. And we think like, no, no, no. His body is not telling. What you are seeing in front of you does not suggest he needs to sit and play Uno. <laughs> what you are seeing in front of you suggests that he needs to move. Can he go to the gym and run laps? Do you have a medicine ball you can throw back and forth with him? Can he do 15 jumping jacks right there in the classroom? Can you go on a walk with him? Can you bump up recess five minutes and get outside? Sometimes we have ideas about what helps kids calm, mm-hmm. and we only think they're calm activities. But again, that's not how our systems work. For some kids, that is what they need. They need calm, quiet, coloring, introspective kind of activities. For some kids, big movement, pressure, sensory-based, all-out crazy actually regulates their system and helps them calm. So it really is, again, coming at it from curiosity and believing kids that they are communicating what they need. Mm -hmm. So when I see that kid, I believe that his body knows what he needs. He's communicating that to me by pacing. And so I'm not going to make him do something that helps me calm or that I think is calming for other kids. I'm going to do what his body is telling him he needs to do, which in that instance was big movement, physical activity, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And so it's got to be kind of like this comprehensive approach of letting them listen to their body and me as a teacher listening to their body by what they're communicating through their behavior and then prescribing an intervention that is going to address that appropriately. Does that make sense? It does. And I think doing that has to build and foster relationship with that kid, which when then ultimately improve behavior because as a as a kid if I my body's telling me I need to move and you help facilitate that you help me figure out a way to do that and calm myself back down I learn to trust you right absolutely and when I trust you we're able to have a more productive relationship in the classroom which as a teacher is what I want you know when I ask you to do something I want you to trust me enough to do it you know, and you have kids that don't do that. But if, if I, my body's telling me I, I have to move and I get up and I, and I'm punished for it every time, I don't want anything to do with you, lady. Right. You're not listening to me. I don't have the, I don't have the words to say it like this. My behavior is my language and you're not listening to me. And so if I get punished for trying to communicate what I want, again, I don't want anything to do with you and I don't want anything that you're selling. So right. I think learning to do that has to build and foster relationship, which ultimately improves behavior. Oh, yeah, for sure. And it's on top of, you know, you're not listening to me. It's also you are sending the message that 
because I need to move, I am bad. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then I start to feel bad about myself. And then I don't want to be in class because it feels bad in there. And none of the kids like me because they think I'm bad. So it's like, Mm -hmm. again, layer on top of layer. That is what makes that relationship then hard. Right. To then come in and say, like, I care about you and I want to help you. They don't buy it. Right. They don't buy it. Because the message gets sent to these kids so early on because you are a little bit different in how you need to move or pay attention or whatever, that somehow, because that is different, makes you bad right? and makes you naughty and means you can't, you shouldn't be in my classroom. Then it's layer on top of layer that that is really hard to then bust back through to get back to a relationship that is trusting enough to kind of warrant positive behavior. Yeah. And as adults, we celebrate those differences. We celebrate. Yeah. Leah and I have gone down the working genius rabbit hole, which is uh, assessment of like, how would you describe it? Uh, work that brings you joy. Yeah. Like what parts of work bring you joy? Yeah. And each of us are, are gifted in different ways. And in a workplace, if you want to be the most successful, you need you need one of everything. There's six of them and you need one of everything. And then together, collectively, you have this like thriving work environment. And so as adults, we celebrate those differences of they're all good. But as kids, we try and like tamp them down and make them all into one thing. And then you spend years in therapy trying to undo it and and realize that I am enough. I am gifted and talented in who I am. That's enough. And I can celebrate who I am. I just need to find my tribe and find my place to do that. But I think that's world changing if we can, you know, allow kids and make kids feel enough in who they are, regardless of what their behavior is. Yep. 100%. All right. We'll wrap it up for today. I promise we'll be back next week with my real voice. Yeah. (laughs) Appreciate you hanging with us. We'll see you next week. Bye, guys. Thanks for listening to this episode of Parental Development. If you found this helpful at all, please leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you choose to stream. And if you have questions that you'd like answered on the show, email info at parentaldevelopment.com. We'd love to hear from you to know that someone else is actually listening. And remember, we're all doing the best we can in this parenting thing. So survive the day and keep the kids alive. See you next time.